Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Laura, who during her near-death experience encountered her grandmother, and today we're going to learn about it. Laura, thank you for being my guest. And welcome. Thank you for having me. All right, Laura, if you don't mind, let's just start on the day your NDE happened and go from there. So between 2010 and 2020, I had uh, 15 back surgeries. And um, actually, I had, I've had 16 altogether. Um, but I didn't think it was possible for me to exist on this planet like without um, without drugs and alcohol. And um, I... Um, I had tried AA and, and been sober for a couple of years at one point, but I was, um, my spine was literally falling apart. So, um, being on opiates didn't help. Um, and anyway, at this point in 2020, I had just kind of given up. Um, but there was one day in June where I was out in my car and I had the roof off and the doors off and the music on. And all of a sudden I, just caught myself thinking like, I don't know what is wrong with me, but this feels better than any drug I've ever had. And I didn't know what it was. And I realized later that it was joy and that joy was a feeling that was completely foreign to me. Um, and, um, anyway, uh, I went to, I went home that night and I turned on this TV show um, called 60 days in, which is about a, um, uh, the first season was about this, this prison that was overrun with crime and the sheriff, um, brought people in from the outside to be his eyes and ears. And nobody knew, um, what was going on, um, except for the sheriff and one other person. It was like, a um, not reality, but it was, um, it was kind of like a documentary and it was, it was filmed. And what I realized um, with the six participants that went in, they all had these really kind of polarized personalities. And I could see like the good parts and the bad parts to each one of them. Also, one of them had um, borderline personality disorder. I could see it. And I had been diagnosed with that um, during um, like, I don't know, starting my 20s on. And um the moment I saw the behavior, it was like, oh my God, it, like a light went off. And I realized that's what I did to myself. And um, anyway, I watched a show for 12 hours straight um, and I realized that I really needed to sleep. Um, so I shut the TV off and um, what went through my head was um, that all of the behavior that I had seen from all six participants was this wide range of human behavior, but it was all in me. It was all part of me. Um, and anyway, I tried to sleep and um, my brain was just like going and I would think of a question and all of a sudden my cell phone, I would get a text and I don't talk to my friends that often that my phone is 
constantly ringing off the hook or constantly making noise. But um, uh, I, I would pick up the phone or read the text and it was the exact answer to the question that I was thinking of, not just like a yes or no answer, but like a full sentence. And after that happened like four or five times, I started like really wondering like what was coming into my mind because it was almost as if I wasn't in control of it. And um, I had thought of uh, this woman who is a medium that I had seen in like 2006. And um, I had called her a few times over the winter and she never would answer the phone. You would call and leave a message and she'd call you back to schedule an appointment. And so I called her a few times over the winter when I was drinking and then she'd call me back and I was too afraid to talk to her. So I just had this thought at, at that point that, huh, if something is really happening to me right now, I bet I will call this woman and she'll pick up. And so I called and, and she picked up and um, she had never picked up the phone. I'd probably called her like 15 times and left messages, um, but she did pick up that day. And she told me that she didn't have time to um, talk to me for um, probably like two weeks. And she said, but you've seen me before, huh? And, and I said, yeah. And, but I'd only seen her like twice. And she said, that my voice sounded familiar and she started to describe my grandmother, my, my Nana. And then um, she mentioned something about um, my relationship with my mother, which was correct. And so I knew that, that she was really kind of tapping into my energy. And um, anyway, after a long conversation, you know, I, I said to her, I was like, I know you're not going to give me the answer either because you don't have access to the information or it's just not, like morally correct for you to give it to me, but what is happening to me right now? And all she would say was that what was happening to me usually happened to people much later in life. And she just left it at that. And so I knew, I, I actually was kind of afraid to ask more than that and, um, and got off the phone with her. And I just had this idea that I had never gone to a rehab, um, like a long-term three-month type thing. I had done a couple detoxes um, just for alcohol, which is like a two or three day um, like stay at a rehab. And then I left and I tr just tried to do it on my own. So I thought maybe I need to go to like a three-month program and I had never had treatment for opiate addiction. So um, at that point though, I had large amounts of, um, of like a heavy duty opiate, like all over my house. And um, I went around and I just dumped all of it. I got rid of everything that I had and I, I wanted to do it before I, I lost the nerve to do it. <clears throat> um, and I knew I had to make two phone calls. I had to call um, my cat sitter um, to take care of my cats. And at the time, my my condo was just a mess um, because like, I was killing myself with alcohol and I was sick all the time. Um, so it, it was, um, there was only really one person that I would be humble enough to allow in to see the mess that I created. Um, and Anyway, when I called her and I told her what was happening, she was like, Laura, are you writing this down? And, and I said, no, I can't think. I, I, can't, I can't write anything because I can't 
process. Like I'm getting so much information in so quickly that I can't put thoughts together to, to write. And I said, I think if, if God wants me to remember this, uh, like I will. Um, and I got off the phone with her. The second phone call I had to make was a little bit, um, it was a little stranger. Um, I had a friend who, um, basically took me into her family, um, for a few years and she knew me as a sober person. Um, but I had, I knew I had to tell her that I hadn't been sober in a long time. And so that was one of the things I had to tell her. Um, the other thing I had to tell her was, um, was odd. Um, she volunteers at an animal shelter, a shelter for, for cats. And she does a lot of, um, fostering. So I have two handicapped cats that she fostered as, um, as kittens. And that's how we met. Um, but anyway, I was shown this picture of these little tiny kittens. And I knew that I had to tell her that God wanted her to know how happy he was with her, uh, for taking care of his most precious creatures. And, um, anyway, when I, when I called her, I, I went into my, um, my spare bedroom, which is in the front of the house and I live on a cliff and, um, this bedroom overlooks, um, just, just miles of, of, um, of ocean. One of the pictures that I had sent you, um, is a picture out this window. And, um, I noticed when I got on the phone that there was a giant like thundercloud, um, that it literally appeared to just be over me because I could look to the left and see the sun. I could look beyond it and see the sun. I could look to the right and see the sun. And I thought we were going to get a thunderstorm because they, um, they usually roll in from like, uh, West to East and, um, usually pass by pretty quickly, but this cloud was just sitting there. And, um, when I told her the first thing that I hadn't been sober in a long time, um, a lightning bolt came down from the cloud. And, um, and I, and I said to her, like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked because I already knew something in my reality was changing drastically. Um, but I, I didn't think that the lightning bolt was for me. I still kind of thought it was a coincidence, but I told her about it. And that's when I took the picture of the cloud. Um, and anyway, about 10 minutes later, I told her the second thing and another lightning bolt came down from, uh, from the cloud. Um, it was about 20 minutes later when we ended the conversation and I took a picture at that point and they're all like their time and date stamped and everything. Um, and it was bright and sunny out and there was never any wind, rain or thunder, just two lightning bolts when I told her um, what I knew I had to say. Uh, and um, anyway, the rest of that day, I don't remember <laughs> too much of, but I went to bed that night and all of a sudden I felt this like inner the best way for me to describe it is like an inner whirling. Like if you've ever felt um, a chakra moving, it's, it was like a hundred times that. Um, and the thought went through my head, like, I'm not going to get to say goodbye to anyone. And I was, I was terrified. Like I've, I've rolled over, um, in a car on the highway and it was not frightening like this, like this was the most frightening thing that has ever happened to me. And, um, 
as it was happening, one of my cats came up and he bit, um, he bit this medal that I wear. And um, uh, ironically, the medium that I had spoken with earlier that day was the person who back years before that um, had said to me, I had asked her if my Nana was in the room and she said, she said, oh, she's definitely here. And um, right after that, she said my mother's name. And then um, uh, anyway, she started describing this necklace that I didn't have on. And it was this necklace with the cross and, and the miraculous medal. And um, anyway, at that point, um, well, she, she said that my Nana was coming through saying to always have it with me that like, I didn't wear it because I was afraid of, of losing the medal. Like this isn't the medal that I actually had on the necklace. This is a different, a different one. Um, but I was actually afraid of losing the real one. So I didn't wear it. Um, it was pinned on my mother the day she was born. And, um, anyway, she said to always have it with me. So when I was in bed and this was happening, one of my cats came up and started to bite this metal. And at, at that point, like I knew my Nana was with me and I was so terrified. I hadn't seen her yet, but I was so terrified that all I could think to do was meditate. So when I breathed in, I said the word love. And when I breathed out, I said the word Nana. And um, within like four cycles of that, um, I was out of my body. And um, I went from like the worst fear you can possibly imagine to um, at first I said it was like being bathed in, in love and that love was all around me. It went through me, um, but I realized that it didn't go through me. It wasn't all around me. It was me. Like when we leave our body, we turn into love and to use the word love is not even um, it's not descriptive enough of a term um it, like to to call it love almost belittles the feeling um but anyway i i said to my nana like how much i had missed her because she died when i was six and i never let go of um of that grief and i realized she was the only human being i ever knew who i saw the way we should see other humans, other people as, as perfect. Like, cause she died when I was six. I thought she was perfect. I couldn't see imperfection then. Um, and anyway, I, I, I started to cry and, um, and told her how much I missed her. And I felt the grief that I carried, um, my whole life, like it fell away, like, like bricks almost. And, um, the first thing that I heard was your suffering is over. You've learned the lessons you've needed to learn going forward. You will experience pain differently. And there was, um, there was so much that was explained to me. Like I realized when I tell the story that, um, that I forget different parts of it every time, every time I tell it, because there was so much, um, that, that I was told. Um, like the souls around me um, were telling me how lucky I was that I got borderline because um, the people who who have it go through so much pain that they they learn the most. Um, and 
And I was like, oh, lucky. I wouldn't call it lucky. Like <laughs> I did not think, um, I did not think it was enjoyable. <laughs> um, but um anyway, um, I kept asking God, like, why, why would you pick me? Like, why me? I felt like I wasted my life. I mean, um, I had um like childhood trauma when I was really young, and from the age of eight was just sure I was going to hell. And everything that I did was based on me trying to um, prove that I deserved the air that I breathed. Um, so like I, I got a division one basketball scholarship with almost no um, like coaching. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't meet the coach who helped me do it until much later than most people who ended up in the same place that I did. Um, and when I got hurt finally in 2010, um, I was in a triathlon. I still came in third. I like to tell people that cause I'm in terrible shape now. <laughs> um, but I herniated a disc in the race. Um, and, and I couldn't race competitively after that again. Um, I, I guess like what it was, was all these things that I chased after these identities that I put on. Um, none of it ever made me think I was good enough. Um, so I was asking God, like, why would you, why would you pick me? I just had this horrible, um, you know, opinion of myself. And, um, the answer was this happens for everyone. It's just your time. And what that meant was, that everyone, um, when they're in their soul's last lifetime on earth, gets the information that I was getting, like during that lifetime. And so it's almost like you get a, um, you know, like the crib notes to life <laughs> when it's your soul's last uh, trip through the earth. And, um, you know, it was explained to me that, um, like the black and white thinking that I was given was actually like a tool, but I didn't know how to use it. Um, so when you put like tools like that and gifts like that into our um, dualistic um, like culture, they kind of backfire. So everything in this life is not black and white. So that kind of thinking wasn't helpful unless I'm applying it to what's true and what's false. Like in that case, it's really helpful. And, you know, God told me that, um, that he made me that way. So I would believe deeply, very quickly. Um, and I was shown this, this being who could go back and forth from heaven to earth. And the only reason they left heaven to go to earth was for the joy of being on earth. And like, I really didn't understand that because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like earth very much. And um, anyway, this being on earth had this joy that I, I've never felt before. Like it was, it was so great. I couldn't see the being's face, but I could see how wide um, their smile was. And um, on earth, they were, in a car that had no roof. Um, and I could see the music trailing behind the car. This person was driving through like a, a giant wide open, like Canyon. It looked somewhere like, like Utah or, um, Arizona. And, um, 
just the joy that they felt. Um, it was beyond what I had ever experienced. And um, anyway, the things that were explained to me, I, I remember repeating my human condition, my human condition, this will be so hard in my human condition. And I don't remember what I said that in reference to. And I think, I think it had to have been um, like some of the like shadow work I've had to do since um, like coming back into my body. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that's what it is and that there won't be anything else that I will um, have a really tough time with. But um, uh, as far as, um, as what else was said to me, um, the last thing that I remember happening was I was floating on this giant body of water with my Nana and, um, and I was so excited. And I said to her, um, I said to her, uh, you know, like there's so much I need to know, you know, and she said, well, you'll get it in bits and pieces as you go. And, um, the thing was, I didn't have to come back. They told me, they gave me a choice. And initially, um, my answer was literally hell no. There is nothing that I want to go back there for. There is nothing of that world that <laughs> interests me in any way. Um, but then I saw my parents on a cord and um, my parents are both alive and very healthy. And um, I couldn't, with all the information that I was given, I just couldn't leave without telling them what I had learned. So that was the reason, um, that was the reason I came back. And um, anyway, I, I woke up the next day and um, I had planned to see my parents that day. Um, they had invited me down to their boat and I hadn't been on their boat in years. And um, before I, I left heaven, I knew, I, I knew that I was going to be seeing my parents the next day. And I said to, I kept saying to my Nana, like, please give me something to tell my mother so that she knows, like, I can prove to her that, that I was with you, you know, like, please give me some piece of information that I wouldn't know. And, um, anyway, when I pulled up to the um, back of my parents' boat, the very first thing that my mother, um, said to me, she was holding out her miraculous medal. <laughs> she said, Laura, there's a kink in this necklace that you gave me. Do you think it's okay to wear it? And, of course, I knew at that moment when she's holding out the medal that, you know, like my Nana said to wear, um, that that was, that was the sign. Like it was only going to be for me. Um, and um, anyway, out on the boat that day, I had this massive realization that um, my parents were, I mean, they, they weren't perfect, um, but they were the two perfect people to teach my soul what it came here to learn. And, um, and at that moment, it was like any kind of anger I had or resentment, it was literally like pulled out of me. Um, and all I could feel was, was love. And we sat on, on, um, on the deck of the boat. And my mother at one point said, Laura, look up at the sun. Can you see that there's a ring around the sun? Like, and I looked up and there was a visible ring that you could see around the sun without 
um, without like burning your eyes. I never seen anything like that, but I was like, Oh yeah, that's God. He's with me today. Like, <laughs> cause when I was back, when I got back into my body, um, I was not, it didn't feel like the same. Um, like the air even felt different. Like it, it tasted different. Um, and it just felt like I was in, I was in the same world that I left, but I was just in a different place and it was just me and God. And there was, there was no fear. Like my parents' boat is an hour away. I've only been there. I'd only been there once before that. And I got lost even using the GPS that day. I didn't need the GPS. <laughs> um, I just knew how to get there. And I knew that I would know how to get there. Um, and the feeling was the feeling of love stayed with me. I remember going into a convenience store and um, thinking that like kind of smiling to myself, wondering if the kid behind the counter was going to know how much I loved him. <laughs> I'd never met him before. And he probably thought I was like a weirdo. Like I was, it was almost like, it felt like, um, like if he smiled at me, like we'd break character and, um, and, you know, like both know that it was, um, like a joke. Um, anyway, um, the, the next big part of the story was, um, that after the whole experience, um, like I, I couldn't stay in that vibration, unfortunately, like my mind and body couldn't support it. So I felt great for a couple of days. Like I had no pain. Um, I had stopped taking like the opiate that I was on and I had no withdrawal, um, which is unheard of. Um, but, um, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't sustain that, that state because my thoughts couldn't support it. I didn't know how to do that yet. And, um, I know it was my guides. Like I don't hear them clairaudiently yet. <laughs> um, I was clairaudient for the first like two days, um, but what kept on coming into my thoughts was A Course in Miracles and um, the book. Um, I had gotten it a few years before that, but I never, um, I picked it up and I read maybe like the first hundred pages and then I put it down because um, like I got bored and um, I just knew that I had to read it. And then eventually one day um, I opened up a drawer that I don't remember leaving it in and there it was. And so I picked it up and I had this aversion to it and I left it on my coffee table for three weeks and just stared at it. And, um, the thing was, I knew, um, because I, I had lived with like disordered thinking, it had all been taken away. Like, um, the, the borderline was gone. Um, but I was afraid if I didn't find a new way of organizing my thoughts that, um, that I would just go back to the old judgments. And so I knew I needed to find a new way of thinking. Um, I didn't know it would be this book. Um, I read the introduction again, cause I had read it a few years before that and it didn't mean anything to me then, but rereading it um, after this experience, it was like, Oh my God, this is going to be my manual. And little did I know, um, during 
the period of time that I read it, um, I ended up having an emergency surgery six months after the NDE. And it was because a three and a half year old surgical bone infection um, reactivated. And so I ended up in the hospital and, um, and had to have the hardware and my spine taken out. Um, but I had this knowing the whole time that, that it was happening for a reason. And I didn't like it, like I didn't enjoy it, but I knew not to be upset um, that one day, like I'd be happy that that had happened. Um, and anyway, um, by the time my one year anniversary rolled around, um, all the pain that I had lived with for 25 years had disappeared. Um, so I recovered from that surgery um, that I had to have, which was my 16th. And it was actually a pretty bad one. Um, but um, I recovered from it um, in March and um, I experienced what it felt like to live pain-free. And it almost took me a few weeks to get used to that um, because I had lived with so much pain for so long that I didn't even know um, how much it affected my life. And um, anyway, when I came up to the one year anniversary of um, my NDE, I opened up Facebook and um, there was uh, a post that I had put up five years before that. So it was June 26th, 2015. I wrote, I just started this book that some say is life changing. I think I need to get a highlighter because of quotes like the following. And then I wrote, um, healing rests on charity and charity is a way of perceiving the perfection of another when you cannot perceive it in yourself. And that was five years to the day before I had the NDE. So seeing that was, was really cool. Like if, if I didn't know um, before that, that I was supposed to read A Course in Miracles, uh, I definitely knew it then. And um, over the next few months, I recovered from a, um, I had an autoimmune disease that was destroying my thyroid. So I had to take thyroid medication. They, they told me that, um, that I would need to take it for life. And um, anyway, I, I stopped that last fall and went back to the endocrinologist and she told me I never have to worry about that again. Um, she, she didn't believe me when, when I asked, you know, well, what are the chances that, that, um, that I could recover from that? And she was, she was more concerned that I would go, that I would, you know, agree to go back on the medication once the test came back. And, um, so she was pretty surprised when she called and, um, and my blood work was normal. Um, but what I've realized is that everything is thought like we are our thoughts. Um, so, um, the course in miracles helped me to like, stop identifying so much as a body, because obviously like none of us are our bodies. We leave them behind, but like there really is never any death, you know, like, personally, like, I can't wait till my day comes, you know, like, I mean, this, this time it was like graduation, but, um, you know, obviously I wasn't done. Um, so when I go back, um, you know, 
I'm looking forward to it. Laura, thank you for sharing your experience with us. I'm not exactly clear, and maybe you can help me. Was the catalyst that started all this experience due to taking the medication or just what you think it was just a lifetime or so many years of being in pain or what? Well, I think the catalyst was um, I had like with with the mental illness that I had, I had suffered like most of my life with suicidal thoughts, but they were just thoughts like I never attempted it or um, anything like that. This was different um, because I knew that my liver was not doing well and I was continuing to drink. Um, And so I was accepting my own mortality. And that is a really sick feeling. Like it it makes you feel like ill. Um, And I think that was more, um, more the catalyst. I don't, I don't know. I I mean, I was waiting to die. So if it didn't happen, um, that's, I probably would have just continued the way I was going. Um, But I had thrown away all the, um, you know, all the narcotic that I had in the house, I had thrown it away. So um, it didn't, I didn't really even think of that until it was probably, it was after a year um, had gone by that I remembered that I, I threw everything away because I had thought that, um, you know, if I, if I held to that, no, I don't want to go back. I thought that, oh, well, it probably would have looked like an overdose then. Um, but then it hit me that, oh, no, I didn't take anything. Um, like, so I was never short of breath. Um, and I think that makes like, people will ask a lot of questions about, um, about the experience that I had because I was fully conscious and aware when my soul was taken out of my body. And that's not, uh, I don't think that's terribly common. Um, and it was terrifying. So now I, I started volunteering at a nursing home because, um, like, it's really important to me that people understand, um, there's nothing to fear with death. You know, I, I was alone. Um, but it, had I known, like, before I got sick, um, so it was December of 2020 that I got sick. And the weekend I went into the hospital, I think it was like a Tuesday morning. And the weekend before that, I wasn't feeling well. And I laid down um, on a Saturday afternoon. And that feeling, that, that inner whirling started again. And this time I just let go. I didn't fight it at all. Like I was thrilled. And um, and I didn't go anywhere. I just kind of like... Um, like floated above my body and I was shown uh, a human heart. Um, and I just kind of stayed there for a few minutes and then went back in my body. And I think it was just, um, it was just, you know, like them telling me, you know, we're here, we love you. <laughs> You're going to go through something rough pretty soon. So <laughs> we just want to give you a reminder. Do you think it's possible that maybe your body just was starting to fail and at that time you just kind of surrendered and just felt like, okay, I'm done with this life. Whatever happens, happens. Um, when, you mean when I had the NDE? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I don't know because I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to die. Mm. Um, you know, I just didn't like, I was just kind of done. Um, you know, I felt like, um, the, the mental illness that I had, like a lot of people will get into relationships and have big relationship issues with that. But what I did was just isolate. So I was alone. Um, and, um, I just felt like, you know, I could conquer different things and it didn't change how I felt like it didn't make me happy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so with the physical pain, it was just, it was just too much. Like I couldn't live through what I, I couldn't do it again. What, you know, 2010 to 2020, I could not do it again. I just don't have it in me. Um, so uh, to answer your question, I don't know. I mean, I've heard things since I've, you know, come back about, um, people getting to go back just kind of like either for a healing or, um, like a reminder of, of who you are. Um, it is far more joyful to live, um, knowing who I am as a human being. Um, and actually the, the one thing that I was, um, really like that was pushed on me to remember was that, um, like the reason why my life paralleled Jesus's. And I don't like saying that because, um, it sounds like I, the word like blasphemous comes to mind, but, um, they explained to me, um, how my life was going to be similar in that like, I had a mental illness that was like socially reviled. Like the first psychiatrist that I ever went to see told me she couldn't treat me. Um, and, um, and I had physical pain that was just beyond like what most people can comprehend. Um, and so I kind of figured it out. Like I went to the end and and figured it out. Like we don't die. (laughs) Um, so, uh, it's like, if people will just accept that, you know, we are love, like that's it. And if we can learn how to love each other, um, like we'll ascend as a planet faster. Um, that was something that I, I figured out pretty quickly too. Like I don't, I was not, really spiritually inclined at all. Um, but I knew when I came back that what happened to me was not just happening to me. Like I knew that somehow I was going to be like a rock that was thrown into or a stone that was thrown into a pond and, um, and the people around me would change because I was changing. So like, that's where like, like the, Jesus correlation comes in as you do. You don't have to have 16 back surgeries and a, and a, um, socially reviled mental illness, um, to, you know, to figure out that heaven is there, you know, like you can just accept it and, um, you can have it too. Um, but that, that's the thing too. Um, I came back to experience living heaven on earth. Um, and I know that, um, I, 
I've been told I already have it. Um, I have a friend who's a channeler and, um, and they've told me that I already have it. I don't know if, if I quite see that yet. Um, but I, I know that the, the joy that, that being that I was shown, I know that I'll, I'll have that. And I know that every moment I have here is a choice between, um, do I want to connect to my heart and connect to who I am, um, which is love, or do I want to connect to my brain and thought and ego and fear? And to me, um, I don't always instantly choose to connect to my heart, but I'm getting better at it. Um, I know that at a certain point, it will just be second nature. You mentioned that this is your last time here. Where do you think you're going to go next? Do you think you'll stay in heaven for eternity or you'll go to other worlds? I think I will know before I leave here, but um, I don't, I don't know right now. Um, I think there's always more, um, you know, like they call this a multiverse, but um, it, it's just endless. So I really don't know. Um, you know, I, I met someone who also had an NDE and now um, she's, she's an author and an Oracle and a numerologist. And um, she has told me she knows where she's going to go. Um, but I think I have to master um, like astral travel and, and leaving my body um, before I'll, I'll really have any idea of what I'm going to do next. Um, I have said though, that by the time I pass, um, I don't know if I will really be aware of the difference between being like my body being alive and, and my body being dead. Um, Like it won't make that much of a difference to me at that point. When you first got out of your body, you encountered your grandmother. And at that time, I believe you didn't see her. But at any other time, did you physically see her? Um, I didn't like I didn't see her with my physical eyes. Um, when when I saw her, I could feel my body crying. Um, but when I was out of body. I saw her in a way that was, that was different than, um, than if I saw her like as her physical form. Um, she looked like how I remembered. Um, but I mean, I think that's, um, that's how it works. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if I, if I think that, like she's a part of me or I, I just think there's so much that, that I can't understand because once you're put back into a human body, you have a brain and you have perception and, um, and our minds are so limiting. Like I've known not to, um, not to make any goals because, um, my mind is so limiting that, um, that it would, I know it would stop me from, 
what I'd be capable of if, if, if I did. Sometimes when you're speaking about people who are talking to you, you use the word they, and you also happen to mention your guides. So was it your guides that was speaking to you and, or was it your grandmother sometime and sometimes God? Um, I did not meet any of my guides when this happened. Uh, I do. My, my Nana is one of my guides. Um, but, um, I, I didn't meet anyone else. I also know, like I have a, a godfather who, um, was my uncle and he died when I was a baby. He's one of my guides, but because I didn't know him in this life, I didn't recognize him. Um, on the other side, I was surrounded by all these souls that were familiar, but, um, my Nana was just the one that I, um, I focused in on. Um, when I say they, um, it's, it's, it's divinity. Um, you know, like, I guess, um, as humans, we, we, um, we think of everything in, in human terms. So like we think of angels with as humans with wings or not, not humans, but in human form. Um, and divinity like source, like when I heard your suffering is over, you've learned the lessons you needed to learn. Like that was source. And I don't know if it was the part of source that is my higher self. Um, like that part of it is confusing to me. I don't necessarily like calling, saying it was God that I was speaking to, because I do understand that it was my higher self, but it was God. <laughs> so um, I guess like the best way to understand it is it is it was the part of me that is God um, that I was speaking with. So it didn't feel like um, it felt like I was having a conversation with myself. It felt, it didn't feel like, you know, some people will say, Oh, when you're in front of God, you'll be on your knees and begging for forgiveness. And it, it wasn't like that at all. Um, it was, it was all, all love. Um, nothing, um, nothing else. So if, if there were any, negative feelings it was the ones that i brought in um but like one thing i understood um pretty quickly was um that the reason for my wearing the miraculous medal um and it wouldn't matter if it was like if it had the, the people might not like hearing this <laughs> but it wouldn't matter if it had the virgin mary on it or if it came out of like a box of cracker jacks um if it made me feel love, then that's what it's about. Like, so when I grabbed this and I was saying the word love and thinking of my Nana and feeling love, it brought me to this dimension that was um, just so high. Um, had I left my body and been terrified, I don't know where I would have, like, I don't know if I would have gone to a dimension that was as, um, like peaceful. I know you said that you saw the one being that went from back backwards and forth, but did you see any others that you could describe at all? No. Um, 
I mean, I was, when I, when, when everything was being explained to me, um, I was surrounded by souls, but it was, it was more like an energy. Um, and there was different, um, I could differentiate between who was who, um, but I didn't, um, I didn't recognize anyone like per se, um, like other, other family members or, um, anything. But like when I saw the being who could go back and forth from heaven to earth, I just thought it was an angel. And I, and that's what I said. Um, I said, well, that's an angel. And I didn't understand why I was being shown that. Um, and since, since this has happened, you know, I, I've, I've been able to connect with different people who, who know more than I do, or they know different things um, than I do. And um, someone had <clears throat> said to me that my religious upbringing um, limits my like capability to understand. So like what an angel really is, you know, like is a fully awakened human being an angel? I don't know. What do you think inspires you about this experience? Well, I guess it's, I have seen the purpose for absolutely everything that has happened in my life. And, um, yeah, it, it was explained to me that the first half of my life, I had to go through the range of like difficulties that I went through so that during the second half of my life, I would have empathy for a wide range of people. Um, but what inspires me is understanding who I am. Um, and that, um, the feeling I get when I, when I talk about this, I had never felt a feeling like that before. And, um, you know, like some people are really turned off by it. Like it, it terrifies some people. Um, like, I mean, I came back from my parents and they don't want to hear anything about it. <laughs> um, but, um, but with a lot of people, it's like the only thing that I can give to another human being is love. Like that's the only thing we can share. Um, I mean, I can, I can give someone aggravation, I suppose, but, um, but what inspires me is, um, is just that if I can change, I was like the most judgmental person like in the world. And, um, and what it ends up being is that you're only ultimately judging yourself. Um, every judgment that I have against another human being is only a judgment on myself. So if I can change and see this world as the perfection that it is, um, then like anyone can. Would you say that this NDE cured your pain? No, no, it didn't. Um, it absolutely didn't. I mean, at times, um, I had anxiety afterwards that was like crippling because I had to understand that 
like time and space don't exist, um, that what I see in front of me isn't reality or it's, it is reality, but it's, it's an illusion. I did not think in this lifetime that I would understand that. Um, but what cured me was a course in miracles that changed my life more than, um, more than the NDE did. Um, the NDE changed me as a person, but it didn't necessarily change my life. Like I could have gone back to the way that I was and just like buried it and, and tried to forget about it. And it really would only exist in my mind. So, um, but it was, it was the course that, that really changed everything for me. If it wasn't for your NDE, do you think that the Course in Miracles would have not made any sense or been relevant for you? I think I read it when I was supposed to read it. And what's amazing about that book is you can't read it. Like you live it. Um, there were a couple of things that I knew about reading it when I picked it up. And it, and I know this information didn't come from me. Like no human being has ever told me to read that book. but. Um, I knew that I could not read it in a group and I could not read someone else's version of it. Like it couldn't go through another human filter. I had to read the exact manuscript. Um, and I started seeing things like from the book in my life, not right away, um, but within a few months, um, it took me, it took me 13 months to read it. Um, and when I, I think that chapter 27 is called the healing of the dream. And I turned and opened that page as I was sitting on a black gravel beach in Hawaii on a trip that didn't cost me anything. <laughs> so um, it was literally everything that's in that book will happen if you read it at the right time. And it's like, it, it sets you up to be in sync with divine timing. I mean, I suppose we're always all in sync with divine timing, but you start to see the synchronicities come into your life that just cannot be coincidental. Um, and that's when life really starts to become fun. Um, like every day is, something different. I am not someone who is used to waking up in the morning and thinking like, Oh, I'm awake. I'm alive. What are we going to do today? <laughs> not me, <laughs> but I'm getting used to that. It's pretty cool. When you first got out of your body, did you look down and see it laying there? No, no. When I, because immediately after I left my body, like I was somewhere else. Um, I wasn't in that room anymore. You said you were in heaven. Can you describe what heaven looked like? The times that I saw like scenes, um, it was when I was being shown something. So like I saw the being going back and forth. And um, when I was, um, when I was actually with my Nana, we were floating on this giant body of water. And what was really cool was, um, about 10 months after that, I was in California and, um, I saw the same scene and I said the same words, um, to, to someone else. Like, um, 
I, I, I heard it and I saw it all at the same time. It was really, it was really pretty um, amazing, but I didn't necessarily see, or I don't remember seeing um, like heaven per se. I, I, I remember more of like the vibration, like everything it vibrates like that, like we are just vibration and um, the just complete sensory experience of it is so much greater than um, anything you experience when you're in a physical body. Um, but it really is um, like heaven is not a place like it's, it's a state. Can you talk a little bit about how your NDE is your own personal conscious experience and how each person's NDE is basically the same thing? Well, like I said, when I was, when I left my body, I was literally saying, I, I don't know how I knew to do this. It, it, I think I was just terrified. And I thought if I meditated, like something would happen and I'd get through it. Um, but I literally cleared everything out of my mind. And the only thoughts that were in there were of love. Um, but had I, had I gone and had the experience in the state I would have been in otherwise, um, I think that whatever, whatever fears I had, like if I read the Bible and I was taught that hell is like the gnashing of teeth and, um, you know, like hellfire and brimstone, whatever, whatever is written in there. The reason people see that is because that's what they believe. Um, I, I didn't have, I grew up Episcopalian, um, which I call Catholic without like the guilt. Um, but, um, I didn't have any real ideas of like who I would see when I got to heaven. The only person I really ever cared about seeing was, was, was my Nana. And, and that's why I saw her. Um, but, um, but whatever construct you have in your mind, like is where you're going to go. Like, because all is thought. Um, and it's as different as, as we are. Has the memory of this faded over the last two years or is it still as real today as it was the day that it happened? It's still as real. I, I mean, I think it's, it's only gotten um, better because there was so much that I couldn't possibly um, put together all at once. I mean, that's why my Nana said it, you know, that I would get it in bits and pieces um, because change for a human being is, is really difficult. And even if you're talking about change, that is wonderful. If it's huge, we get scared, um, because we, we are afraid of things that we don't understand or that we don't know. Um, one of the things that was really great about, um, doing the course was just that 
it showed me that fear is only in my mind. Fear is only real if I believe in it. So if I don't believe in it, it doesn't exist. The only thing that is real um, that we leave behind, that we take with us is love. Do you believe that we plan things out in our life like you planned this life that you had and this NDE or not? I believe that we decide as souls what lessons we're going to learn um, before we, we come in here and we incarnate with, you know, essentially the same soul group. So, um, yes, I, I think we, we decide what we're going to learn before we get here. We just don't get to choose the circumstances in which we learn it. Um, it was an important thing for me to understand because in coming back, there was a lot of like forgiveness that I had to um, have for people. And I realized like forgiveness isn't even necessary because we're just playing roles, you know, like when we're done here, it's like we uh, are coming off a stage and we've just played this role, you know, for a life and we go back to being a perfect soul. Um, so it really like to carry any kind of like resentment or, um, or grudge against anyone is, um, is, is such a waste of time. Um, because there's so much we can do here. Um, when we don't carry that kind of energy, like we're free. It's interesting that you said that about playing roles. And sometimes we all are given choices in our life to do the wrong things and the right things. And it always seems easier to do the wrong thing, but I, it makes me wonder like, um, what if we did the wrong things? And it, is that still just part of playing a role? Well, once you go, once your consciousness expands beyond duality, there is no wrong decision. It's just a decision. Either way, there is an experience and it's all love. Um, I mean, I, I have this um, yin yang tattoo. I've had it for years, actually. Um, my best friend and I both um, got the same tattoo and it didn't mean as much to me when I got it as it does now. Um, so we might make what we think is the wrong decision. And we might instantly know because we feel guilty. Um, but again, with the course, like guilt, it taught me guilt is a wasted emotion. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm like looking to like hurt anyone. You know, I think um, what happened for me was because of early childhood events, like I carried so much shame and guilt um, that when I came back, I actually, I worked with a, a hypnotherapist to, um, to change my, my belief systems. And when I let go of that shame and guilt, well, we carry it right. Like, you know, in our heart center, uh, right where our, our compass is. So when you carry shame and guilt, you don't get the same direction that you would get if you're free of it, like freeing yourself of it clears the channel so that you can like hear like 
like the Holy spirit that's in you, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. Um, but I know that any thought that I get that makes me feel anything other than love is just my ego and I can kind of ignore it. <laughs> um, but, um, anything that comes into my mind, uh, otherwise, like I need to listen to, even if I don't, like I've had to make decisions and do things that I really didn't want to do, but I knew it was the best thing for everyone. So, um, now that, that direction, like there's no question, um, there's no question about it for me anymore. Um, it's, it's very clear. All right, Laura, I need to switch gears with you. So after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit chat with you. Are you open to that? And if so, how can they reach you? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I don't do a ton of social media, um, but I'm on Facebook. Um, Laura McGlynn, you can spell my last name, M-C-G-L-Y-N-N. Um, my email address is my name, L-A-U-R-A-M-C-G-L-Y-N-N, 646 at Comcast.net. Um, I do get a lot of spam there. So if, uh, um, if, if, you know, I don't respond, just try again. <laughs> well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Sure. Um, I guess it's like the, the biggest thing is just to know that we are all love. Like we're all the same um, at the end of the day. Like when we take off the costume, we're all love. And it was something Ram Dass said, like if you see everyone as a soul, souls are perfect and souls love each other. Um, so that's what, that's what we're here to do is to learn how to love each other, even though we do things <laughs> to hurt each other. <laughs> but, um, but love is the only thing that we take with us and we leave behind. Laura, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you for having me. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.